we can probably go ahead and get going and I'll keep my eye on the uh, waiting room and bring people in if I see them. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, thanks everybody for, um, for joining us for this uh, sort of special but yet delayed meeting. Um, we've had a lot going on work-wise and otherwise. Um, I just wanna kind of uh, note that Rebecca Slocum is back on with us. She was, those of you that have been participating from the beginning may remember Rebecca. Um, she's been working on this project with me from the beginning and then she went out on maternity leave for a while and um, now she's back. So Rebecca, welcome back. Um, all right, so we will be covering two service improvement scenarios today. And the idea, just to remind everybody, is we want to take these ideas to stakeholders and the general public um, in, I, I think, end of October, beginning of November. The dates have not yet been finalized, but the idea is that we have two different ways that we think we can improve mobility in Lawrence. Um, the However, neither one of those scenarios is going to satisfy everybody, and that's by design. We're trying to understand what elements of, of each scenario um, are most popular and then kind of combine them into a hybrid preferred scenario at the end. So um, Rebecca is going to be, Rebecca and I are going to be working on getting all of these online in a way that people will be able, like the public will be able to review them and provide feedback um, and and then kind of give us um, enough to go to go with as we develop the, the final recommendations. So I'm going to share my screen. Um, we're going to do this mostly via Google Earth tonight, as we've done um, in the past. Um, but we've also got Remix at our disposal for anyone who, who, who knows Remix or uses Remix, we can also use that. And I'm just rearranging windows on my screen for a second, so hold on. Okay. And for the sake of people having as much information as they can, I'm gonna put a Remix link in the chat that shows existing scenario one and scenario two. You should hopefully be able to turn on and off different layers, but just so you have that, and maybe if, if people could try to open that and shoot me a chat message to let me know if it works for you as a member of the public so that you just kind of have that to the side. Well, I think watch Boris's screen for the most part, but. Um, yeah, I find there's no no perfect way to present this much information. Um, I think Remix is, is great for big picture comparisons, but then route by route, I find Google Earth to be a, a little bit more useful because we can turn on and off different layers. Um, like what you see now on the screen is the transit potential layer, which kind of gives us a sense of where transit, fixed route transit um, is, is, would be most supported um, based on demographics and density and things like that in, in the region. Okay, so a couple of words about the two scenarios before we jump in. So scenario one um, resulted in 16 routes and covers a population of 48,700 people. Scenario two resulted in 18 routes and covers a population of 50,100 people. So scenario two is slightly more, provides slightly more coverage than scenario one, um, but the two scenarios are not uh, kind of fundamentally different in the sense that like one of them isn't only coverage based and the other isn't only uh, productivity based, but scenario two does provide a bit more coverage in, mo in, in many cases, but, but not all. Okay, so let's jump in. Um, so we'll start with route one first. So route one is here on the screen. 
So Route 1, uh, the proposed Route 1 in Scenario 1 would operate from downtown to the East Hills Business Park. Um, it shifts service from Haskell. So if we look at the uh, current Route 1 as, as a reference, oops, I went too far. One second. Yeah, so if we look at the current Route 1 as a reference, um, the proposed Route 1 shifts service from Haskell to Massachusetts Avenue. Um, and the idea there is to provide service to Dillon's. There will be other service on Haskell that we'll talk about uh, later, but this allows service to Dillon's. Um, it also provides service both to the jail and um, shelter, the community shelter, and the East Hills Business Park. Um, so that's kind of unusual because currently these two are served separately with, with different routes. Um, Route one is being proposed to be interlined with route five. So just to review what interlining means, um, interlining is where you have one bus or, or, a, or a, a fleet of buses, it could be two or three, that essentially alternate between more than one route. So for example, if route one um, heads out outbound toward the East Hills Business Park, once it gets to the East Hills Business Park, it changes its head sign, but that same bus then continues in this case to the um, Bob Billings hub. So the idea, the reason to, to do that is because then you kind of have a one seat ride both from the Bob uh, Billings hub. So in reverse, you would go first to the business park and then to the uh, shelter in the jail um, or downtown vice versa. So you have a one seat ride. You don't actually have to transfer vehicles to get to some of these key destinations. So that's, um, Route one and Route five under scenario one. Um, any questions on on those or how those two work together? The other thing about so Route five, what there's a sort of a trade off that happens here. This is the current Route five that I'm flashing on and off. The current Route five um, goes from the East Hills Business Park down to the Iowa Street Retail Hub, um, and it also goes into the Haskell campus. So instead of those two things, so the Haskell campus is just served from 23rd Street, which you know may or may not be a great idea, but we just wanted to throw it out there to see how people would react to that. And instead of the deviation from 23rd Street um, to the Haskell campus, instead we've put in a deviation um, into all of the apartment communities that are south of 23rd, uh, or Clinton uh, Parkway, depending on which side of Iowa. Um, so there's a, a whole bunch of apartment complexes through through there. We can actually see them. Um, if we look at points of interest, you see the density of multifamily housing. That's these little, little monopoly looking houses there. Um, and so that's that's the, uh, a key difference on Route 5 from the, from the current um, to the proposed. So... This is August. Have those, I know the 11 goes through there, um, through part of that number five new area. Um, have, has all of it been tested with an actual full-size bus? I, like I said, I know Naismith is fairly well tested, but like across the street on Iowa, has that been tested with the full size, just for practicality? So uh, there are no streets shown on these two routes I'm, I'm, I'm almost 100% certain there's nothing on these two routes that, that isn't already served. 
um, there's no there's no segment that isn't already served. So so there there okay. aren't any issues here. On other routes, there were the issues like that, and we kind of talked through them on some of our um, internal meetings. But these two routes don't have any segments that couldn't couldn't be served. Thank you. Okay. All right. So that's one in five. Yeah, and I would just say regarding the deviation into Haskell, I know we don't want to. You have to be thoughtful about how many times you deviate a route. Um, and we have to be looking at timing and things like that. But I would I would tend towards wanting to loop into Haskell anytime we're running along 23rd Street, unless we find that, that we really can't do it or, or there's some, some real challenge to it. Yeah, of course. And uh, this is kind of for this group's ears only, but when we do these scenarios and we take them to the public, we always put things out there that are controversial to see what people are kind of willing to stand up for, willing to fight for, that kind of thing, so that we can prioritize ourselves. Um, you know, if it comes down to it at the end of the day and the route is just like a couple minutes over the the travel time needed to run it with a with a single bus or two buses and we need to make, make a cut somewhere, we kind of have in our back pocket, like, okay, nobody really objected to not going to Haskell. In scenario two, we do go into Haskell's. You'll see that later. But um, that, that's just some of the kind of thinking behind some of these ideas. The scenarios have these different like nuggets of differences that allow us to gauge what people really are willing to accept or not. Okay. So, okay, let's move on to route three. Okay, so the current Route 3 um, operates from downtown up through um, Michigan Street and Iowa Street and some of the industrial, kind of light industrial areas um, up north of 1800 Road. It serves the, the Hallmark facility. But the current route provides, um, has a lot of one-way route segments. So the, the bus goes north on Iowa Street and then comes back down on Michigan Street. So the issue there is that if you live on Michigan Street and you're trying to, let's say, get home, you kind of have to ride all the way to the end of the route and come back um, before you get home, or you have to get off uh, somewhere on, you know, earlier in the route and then walk to your, to your final destination. So neither of those things are super convenient. Um, and, and because of that, we, we are seeing quite low ridership um, up there. Uh, just, you know, this is a crude representation of it, but, but there's not a whole lot of ridership. And I think in, in part, that's because the service over there isn't great. So um, both of the scenarios that we're looking at do assume there will be some amount of microtransit service in the um, in, in Lawrence. And just for review, microtransit is a um, type of, of transit service. It's a demand response service that is um, app-based. So it's like Uber and Lyft, but it uses uh more transit vehicles than than um, than sedans, um, and we'll talk about the microtransit zones later. But I just want to note that anywhere where service is being proposed for elimination, keep in mind that we do intend to propose microtransit service as a, as a replacement. So um, on Route Three, what we're proposing is um, let me turn off the current Route Three. Okay. Oops. Okay. So Route Three uh, kind of has Memorial Hospital as its um, as its hub, and so from Memorial Hospital, it in one direction goes down to the Bob Billings uh, Parkway. Uh, sorry, Bob Billings Hub. 
Um, and then in the other direction goes to downtown and then even past downtown toward the uh, Amtrak station, which is here. Um, and then it kind of does uh, a loop at the end and ends it on East, East, East 9th Street. So um, it still, in this scenario, serves downtown and it comes pretty close to the library. Um, in this scenario, we don't have it operating on Vermont Street. Uh, the library is here, but rather on 7th Street. Um, in another scenario, it's different, but, but that's the, the, you know, a key, key difference there. But the main thing is that it's um, no longer kind of serving these areas to the north, and instead it's being used to connect different parts of town to, to the hospital. So that is Route 3. Any, any thoughts on that? Okay. Um, I, I had a question. Is there, I guess, is there any, since you're connecting different parts of town to the hospital, is there data driving those connections or? So um, we know that the hospital is a uh, fairly high ridership destination. Um, we, we have from surveys, we can kind of do a cross tab to see to try to get some approximation of who's riding out here. Um, but we know that in general, it's an important destination for the community. Um, and, and so that's kind of the thinking here that we know it's a high ridership destination. So let's, let's try to connect to it um, as many people as, as possible with a one seat ride. Um, and, and, and even, you know, this is also, this also plays into the desire to make the Bob Billings hub a, a hub. You know, so once you get to the hub, you want to be able to connect from there to key destinations around the community. And that's certainly a key destination in the community. Um, any thoughts on, on this route and maybe like even the extension to the Amtrak station on the other side? I have a question, Carol Bowen. <clears throat> um, if someone is at the hospital and they need to go to somewhere else, some other medical facility, how would they get there? I don't even know what the other medical facilities are because everything's moving, but there's some to the Northwest. I think there's still some to the Southwest, different labs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. How would they get there? Well, that's, uh, I, I guess, depends on where they're going. I mean, if they're going to the new um, LA, uh, LMH or LHM, right? Lawrence Memorial, LMH, right? LMH, is that right? If they're going to the new LMH, um, then in this scenario, there's a route four, which I was going to talk about next, um, which they could transfer from the three to the four, and then they can make their way to the, the new LMH facility. However, um, maybe this is a good time to, to show it, but let me just quickly talk about microtransit, because if microtransit um, does go in, if it is implemented, the way that we kind of envision microtransit service to work in scenario one is that the city would be divided into, into zones and um, microtransit trips would be permitted anywhere within the zone, within one of these designated zones. If a person wants to go to a different zone, then they would use microtransit to get to a fixed route and then make a use fixed route to, to kind of get another part of town and then make a connection to another microtransit service. It sounds a little bit cumbersome, but the with microtransit service, the key 
to making it productive is to limit the trip lengths. Because if you have a service that is a door-to-door service, in other words, people are picking it up and able to go anywhere, that tends to result in very, very long trips. If a trip is very long, it takes the vehicle out of service for other people to use. So you want to maximize the turnover. You want to maximize the amount of people that can use the, the vehicle every hour. And one way to do that is to build a zone structure where people are limited. If they want to go cross town, then they can take the microtransit and use it as a first or last mile connection and, and transfer, let's say, to a crosstown, more of a crosstown route, like the Route 4 shown here. Um, and then they can take their further trip. So microtransit is meant to provide local circulation, especially where there's no fixed route service, and then also complement the more regional network to, to provide first and last mile connections. So if a person is trying to get to a place that's not on a fixed route, a medical facility or any other type of facility, then microtransit would be an option in, in this scenario. Does, does that help answer your question at all? Yes, I have another question. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not mute now. I'm open, right? You're, yeah, we hear you. <laughs> Don at Haskell, um, we're just going on 23rd Street. What is a reasonable expectation for walking to the bus stop? And uh, the reason I'm asking is because that neighborhood between 23rd Street and Haskell has very tiny streets. Um, the bus route used to go down to, um, it just went down on Mass Street mm-hmm. to the campus and then was straight back out again. Or no, it went around a little bit. So you're asking what's the what's the distance that people would walk from if a bus, if a bus stop on 23rd street is Haskell close enough? Is that sort of the question? Well, Winona and Pawnee, and I think the next one is Indian Avenue. I don't, yes, it is. Those three streets are very residential in size. Mm -hmm. They are not part of the campus and they would have to handle those big buses. Oh, so the, in this scenario, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have big buses. So the, the big buses would be, um, the closest point would be 23rd Street. So the big, big buses would drop people off on 23rd Street. If you're talking on microtransit, microtransit actually uses small buses. It uses more like minivans or, or sometimes cutaway, what's called a cutaway bus, like what's mm-hmm. used for paratransit service. So that's one of the benefits of microtransit service that, is that it's sort of more appropriate for residential streets, um, more so than the big, like 40 foot buses. So, um, but this does not envision 40 foot buses on Pawnee or uh, Winona or any of these neighborhood streets. Does that answer your question? Okay. Morris, right. while you're here in the map, real quick, there's not a stop on 23rd from Haskell to Louisiana currently, correct? Is there going to be one added if the five goes straight through like that? Um, so, yeah, we could recommend adding stops. And as long as it's a safe environment, um, I think that's all on the table. So we would certainly recommend a stop somewhere as, as close as possible to the campus if service was limited just to 23rd Street. And a couple of thoughts to build off of Melissa and Carol's comments. So I know, you know, in thinking about access to the hospital, I think one of the things we heard a lot in the survey work leading up was um, 
the importance of the connection from downtown, which this would maintain. Um, so I think that's a positive. Um, to build on Carol's comments, I'm excited by seeing the hospital connected to the hub at Bob Billings, because then that opens up a lot more connections to a lot of different places around town if people are trying to get uh, to and from the hospital from a bunch of different places. Um, so I think that's intriguing. And then the one other observation I would make that um, I would just be interested to hear some from the neighborhood. I know there was some concern just with the facility itself on Bob Billings about how much bus traffic they would see along Crestline between Bob Billings and 9th or Bob Billings and 6th. Um, I like the new school we'd be able to connect to based on that running on Crestline there. Um, but that would be something we'd maybe just want to hear a little more from that group of neighbors in that area um, on their thoughts about, yeah, that segment. Yeah, and these are the, the Meadowbrook apartments. Or I forget which ones are Meadowbrook. I think these are Meadowbrook, correct? Yes. Yeah. I, I know that it's been um, serving the Meadowbrook apartments has been kind of a, a challenge sometimes, especially with like different weather conditions um, and, and just going into the apartments because of traffic and, and driveways. So this, this was a way to serve them without going directly inside the complex. So um, that was another consideration of, of how adding service to Crestline. All right, um, I guess we'll move on, Adam. Okay. Sounds good, I'm laughing here at how quickly it we get to have six routes highlighted on the screen at once. You can't do that. It's a domino effect. Um, but actually, I'm going to turn a lot of them off now and try to clear the screen a little bit. Okay, so let's uh, look at Route 4. So Route 4 consolidates the current Route 4, which serves North Lawrence, with the current Route 6, which heads out west um, to Rock Chalk Park and, and the Walmart in that area. Um, so actually, does the current Route 6 go all the way to Rock Chalk? I think it does, right? Let me make yes, sure it does. Yeah, it does, it does, yep. Okay, so um, the change, first let's focus on North, North Lawrence. One change here is shifting service to uh, North Street or North Road, let's see, is it, which is here instead of Lyon, um, North Street, instead of Lyon Street. Um, and the, the main reason for doing that is to get closer to this mobile home park, which is a high density residential area. Um, and so just providing better access for those folks to, to get to transit. Um, that's the North Lawrence piece. Um, then the idea of linking them to um, all the way on 6th Street or and destinations on 6th Street is just more options from North Lawrence to get to grocery stores, to get to Walmart, to get to uh, the, the hospital, just a lot, a lot of destinations along this corridor that would be accessible with a one-seat ride from North Lawrence under this um, configuration. Um, so any thoughts on that? Do you know if it's still be an hour interval? Um, so it depends how many vehicles we, we throw at the route. Um, uh, the longer the route is, typically the more flexibility we have with, with um, 
programming different frequencies. So whether it's an hour or 30 minutes, there's also other tricks we can, we can d use like interlining routes to make uh, the combined routes as cycle time that we, that, that's useful to us. So that's sort of in the weeds, but, um, and we haven't gotten into the schedules yet, but, uh, having a fairly long route is, is not, not a problem. It's actually sometimes better than having a, a very short route because if you have a very short route, then you're locked into having a higher frequency than you may want, or that may be justified. If the whole, if the whole route only takes 20 minutes, you can't have hourly service on that route unless you somehow interline it or do something else. So you have more flexibility with a longer route. Uh, we'll Carol say Bowen. that our route six um, just runs, it runs that route pretty fast. We have a lot of downtime. So uh, this may still be possible in an hour. Sorry to interrupt, Carol. Sorry. Um, on Sixth Street, especially from you know, is it McDonald Drive to Massachusetts Street, I, on the one hand, I think we need quite a few stops because it's a rather dense area. On the other hand, there's no place for the pedestrians to get across the street to catch the bus. Just, just saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's especially tough near Iowa Street, I believe, um, where you have kind of this wide interchange. Um, and that's true. And that's, uh, you know, we can, we can make recommendations on improving the pedestrian environment, but, but you're right, it's a pretty wide roadway that's difficult to cross. So, um, in this case, though, a lot of the destinations that may be most uh, popular, I think, are even further west, like the Walmart. Um, and there's a Dillon's, I believe, along the way as well. So that's some of the thought, thought process here. Okay, so we'll move on. Okay, five we already talked about. That's, we'll move on from there. Okay, route seven. So um, route seven, the, let me bring up the current route seven again for context. So this is the current route seven. And the proposed route seven would run from downtown to the reserve apartments, which are here on West 31st Street. Um, the idea is to restructure the route to create a one-seat ride from multifamily housing along Haskell. We have uh, Douglas, uh, Douglas County housing along Haskell, um, a, a large sort of complex, high-density complex there, um, to provide them a one-seat ride both to downtown and connections downtown and to retail destinations along South Iowa um, and other destinations along the way. Uh, but those are, those are kind of the, the, the key anchors, the, the retail anchor and the downtown anchor. Um, so the, the other idea here for Route uh, 7 is to interline it with Route 11, which we haven't talked about yet, but um, Route 11 would operate from the Bob Billings Hub um, along 19th Street and Naismith through uh, some of the apartments south of 23rd Street. And then it would end uh, It would end at the reserve as well. And so in order to re reduce duplication and redundancy, these two routes are envisioned as interlining. So once this, the Route 11 gets to the reserve here, it changes its head sign and then heads you know, past the Target and the Walmart and you know, all the retail there. And then this one, vice versa, hits all the retail, 
gets to the reserve and then heads toward um, campus, the KU campus and the Bob, uh, Bob Billings hub. So this is all just an effort to reduce redundancy and to improve the productivity of, of the routes overall. Um, plus to, to make sure that every route has a strong mix of origins and destinations. Uh, so the Haskell Avenue, uh, if we look at the um, points of interest, you know, you see this is where the residential areas are and we want to connect them to everything downtown and then all the retail down here. So any thoughts on those routes or combination routes? I'm just kind of- August, 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 sorry, Boris. This eliminates the coverage for LHS. Is there a line that's going to take that over? In this scenario, no. Um, in scenario two, yes. But again, that's one of those controversial moves that we want to see how people react to. Um, in this scenario, we kind of uh, default back to saying microtransit would be an option. Um, and if, if you're in some of the neighborhoods south of Clinton Parkway that don't have fixed route service, then you could consider microtransit instead. This is Chris Tilden, not is less of a comment, more of a question. I'm just, as I'm looking at Louisiana Street and 31st Street, just wondering about the selection of that. You know, when you pick points of interest, there's not much along those other than the schools. Right. Um, whereas along 23rd in Iowa, there's obviously a lot of commercial and other interests. So just kind of yeah. curious. Yeah, great, great question. So um, this kind of goes back to the market analysis that we did early on in the service analysis. So looking at existing ridership, there was a stop along Louisiana and 27th that was fairly high ridership. So we wanted to kind of connect the dots, so to speak, and get that in there. There's also all of the new apartments being developed. Um, I think uh, at least two that are south of... Um, uh, let's see, south of 31st Street. So we wanted to provide bi-directional service to, to these apartments and get them into something that would take them eventually to uh, even up to downtown and, and provide other connection opportunities. So, so you're right, Louisiana Street doesn't have a ton of, of things, but it does have some stops that have historically been you know, fairly productive. And so that's, that's why. Thanks. Okay. Just follow up. I think. I mean, that's a. I think that's a good comment, Chris. And we we may consider the twenty seventh corridor for east west in that area as opposed to thirty first. Um, mm -hmm. You could still hit that stop over at twenty uh, seventh Louisiana. Yep. Um, the other thing that. Um, oh, I will wait until we talk about Rowlett. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, I had some just comments, I guess, on Louisiana Street with the high school and the middle school. Um, and are there routes for the students, the high school students who live east of Massachusetts Street? Can they get to school on somewhat of a direct route on the bus? Um, so in scenario one, let me make... One second. All right. So in scenario one, we'll talk about this in a minute. There's a there's a route. Um, maybe we'll talk about it now. Called 
27. So I think it was is the next one we were going to talk about anyway. Well, we'll, ju we'll just talk about it. So the 27 is a route that um, serves the high school. It actually is intended to link together a bunch of educational institutions in Lawrence. So the Peasley Center is at one end. Um, then you have the Haskell campus and you have the high school, KU, and then it ends at the Bob Billings hub. So it's not a perfect solution because there's always going to be people that maybe live further out um, and, and attend the high school that they're not right on this particular route. Um, but the high school is served by, by this route. And there are many connection opportunities that this, this route would provide to other routes. That, um, that is actually a step up from what currently we have for the seven. So, so that's the idea on this route. Um, okay, 11 we talked about, did we, we didn't talk about 10. Jump to 10. Did we talk about nine? No, we didn't talk about nine. We left off on seven. Okay, sorry guys for jumping around. Okay, let's talk about nine real quick. So um, route nine is, uh, again, the current route nine looks like this and continues up Wakarusa to Walmart and the, the high school, Free State High School. It, so it actually serves kind of two Walmarts on the route. Um, and so instead, what we're proposing is to have a shorter route that serves the Iowa um, Street Retail, the Walmart, the Target, serves apartments south of Clinton Parkway, and then does kind of this end of the line loop that serves um, all the residential through here, south of Clinton Parkway. There's a fairly large apartment complex here, um, and there's apartments along 24th um, place, place as well. So that's, that's Route 9. Route 9 links all this residential down to retail. Route 9 would be interlined with Route 29. So Route 29 does the same kind of alignment through the residential areas, but instead of going down to the retail um, hubs, uh, it, it goes to the Bob Billings hub. So these two routes potentially could be interlined as well. Um, so, so the bus would come from Bob Billings, do the circulation through the neighborhood, then go to Iowa, uh, down to Iowa Street, and then vice versa to the circulation and go to Bob Billings. So those are um, two routes, nine and 29. That leaves part of Wakarusa uncovered, but the part of Wakarusa that would be uncovered is a part that has fairly low ridership. Um, let me turn this on. So there's very little ridership here that would be dropped um, by this alignment. And of course, microtransit. I'll just throw that out there, microtransit. Any thoughts on this pair? Okay. Then let's look at 10. So this gets to the rest of Wakarusa. So basically with nine and 10, they kind of look like this. And this is the part of Wakarusa that's uncovered. But the part that's north of Bob Billings where you have, I think social security administration um, uh, and a few other like government offices that still would have coverage. Um, so you have service from the Bob Billings hub up Wakarusa and then um, 
uh, north of 6th, where there's a lot of new development, a lot of new apartment complexes. So you have Walmart here, the high school here, and then a lot of apartment complexes through here, Rock Chalk Park, and then the new hospital facility here. So that's Route 10. Any thoughts on that one? You know, we heard from uh, people at KU, just interest in direct connection from KU to Rock Chalk Park. So this can help facilitate that, which is interesting new connection. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so then let's move on. Okay, Route 11, we talked about Route 27, okay. I do have yeah. a thought about 11 um, okay. or something to think about. We'll see what, see what the people say through surveying and outreach. But as we look at the north-south stretch between 19th and 23rd, we might consider Stewart Avenue as opposed to that stretch of Naismith, um, you know, Os Osdall and then Stewart. As, as the north-south connection between those two, uh, just because of those uh, large apartments there along Stewart. Right. I think, I think there's a chance we could pick up more ridership there than the single family that exists on Naismith in that stretch. Right. Yeah, I don't, I, th I think you're right. Um, scenario two does have service on Stewart. Scenario one does not. The reason it does not on scenario one is because I was nervous about having buses turn left at um, Stewart and 19th, that's not signalized, whereas Naismith yeah, is signalized. Yeah we, do have, yeah, we do have a signal there at Stewart. Oh, you do? Yeah, so that, that one we're, we're good on. The challenging intersection over in this area is 21st in Iowa. That's the one that all of us would like there to be a signal at, but not currently. Oh, okay. Wait, or so is your Google Earth image predates improvements on 1993? Yeah, that's a... That's really a really old image. <laughs> Those okay. buildings that you see in this picture don't exist anymore, including yep. this three-wing residence hall. Okay. Okay, great. So I didn't know there was a signal there. Uh, that's great to know. Okay. I think, Adam, I'm, I'm thinking that Stewart might be optimal over Osdale only because you've got the bike boulevard between 21st and 19th. Um, which is already a fairly narrow roadway. So if you're trying to direct, direct cyclists on the one road, bus on the other road, Stewart might be the, the, op the best option there. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Maybe we do, we do have to use Osdall from 23rd to 21st though. Like Osdall's yeah. only way to go Stewart. Yeah, but, right. but you're absolutely right, that stretch there. I think as that bike boulevard was developed, there was discussions about making sure we could turn left and right at uh, at Osdale on 21st with the bike boulevard so we could keep that connection. What about yeah, Stewart? I'm sorry, what about Stewart and 21st? Is that signalized? Nope. Okay. It's relatively low. It doesn't need it. <laughs> okay. So can you repeat uh, how you, so, so if we were on Stewart, you would use 21st to get to, to Osdale, is that right? Is that right? Yeah, so you 
follow isn't is correct me if I'm wrong. That's where 38 goes now. Okay. Yeah. So like this. Okay. Got it. All right, let's move on to, well, I think we talked about 29. Yep, we talked about 29, 30. Okay, so let me turn on the current 30. So for the current 30 um, goes further west and it does serve um, a couple of large apartment communities that are past where the Bob Billings hub would be. Uh, and it also doesn't go, doesn't go to downtown. The proposed Route 30 would be kind of a, almost like a BRT, a bus rapid transit type of service. It'd be fast and frequent connections from the Bob Billings hub to the downtown hub with KU in the middle. So very simple, very frequent service. Um, that's that's the vision for Route 30 as you see it here. Any thoughts on that? Boris, I, this is Chris Tilden. I think that's a really good route. And with the shortening of 10, uh, which now doesn't go into the campus and downtown, that creates a nice linkage um, between those two routes as well, which I know is pretty heavily traveled. So. That makes that to me. This makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, the the numbering system we're keeping the current sort of it pivots off the current routes, but a route like this, I would almost I think it's worthy of like being route one or you know something like that because it's kind of linking the the most important destinations in in Lawrence. Um, but we'll call it thirty for now. I'm going to okay. say again that I want you to call it 10B instead of 30, since it won't be a university-funded route. Okay. All right. Then 34. All right, so 34 um, links together a few different segments that are currently on, on different routes. So. Uh, the current route 34, the current route 41, the current route 38, those are all kind of consolidated into a single longer route in part to give us more flexibility with scheduling. So some of the current routes that are combined in this, in this um, scenario uh, are fairly short. And so that it does create some challenges for, for optimizing the schedules. So this would operate from the 7th Street, West 7th Street, corridor up north to the West 25th Street corridor uh, down south. Um, and, and it would connect both of these areas that have um, off-campus housing um, to, to campus, to all basically all, all parts of campus. So any thoughts on that route? Does that turn around at the high point apartments on 6th? Uh, so yeah, it well, it follows the current alignment of uh, let's see, 30. The answer is yes, it is going uh, to high point. Yeah, 34, the current 34 alignment up there. So yeah. Okay, any, any thoughts on this route? Does it, so it's sort of a, a route that would have a lot of um, 
kind of turnover. You have a lot of you know residential boardings here, people getting off on campus, new people getting on to head to residential destinations to the south, and kind of a. I see this as a pretty productive route, almost along its entire alignment. Okay. So let's look at 36. So 36 is um, not very different from the current 36, but it's extended from the end of the line, the current end of the line on, um, what are these apartments called? I forgot the name of the apartments. Uh, the gateway, I can't remember. Is it gateway? Sunrise Village or something is the yeah. actual name of it, but the road is gateway. Okay, so it, it, it extends from the apartments that are there on Gateway um, to instead connect all the way down to Bob to the Bob Billings Hub. So it creates a, kind of a new option for people along the Sixth Street Corridor to get to campus potentially. Instead of going this way, they could head down uh, Castle to Bob Billings and then transfer to uh, a route here to get to campus. Um, so just more more transfer opportunities, more options for people at the hub to get to the Sixth Street corridor as well. Okay. Um, really interesting for people on Castle. I know that's a corridor we haven't been able to serve yet. Um, I'm just thinking about if you're in that stretch headed either direction, the places you could get to. That's pretty intriguing. Yeah. Um, Funding mechanism for when classes aren't in session would definitely have to be part of a discussion for some of these options. Yep. There's also the possibility of interlining this route with something like Route 42, which we haven't talked about yet. But um, if we interline it at the Bob Billings hub with a route that goes directly to campus, sure. then from the Sixth Street corridor, people could have a one seat ride to campus from the north or from the south. Um, without having to transfer. Okay. So next route is 41. So 41 would operate between Becker, Becker Drive and the Union. Um, so it's extended to, the, let me actually bring up the current 41. So the current 41 uses Jayhawk Boulevard, um, Sunnyside, it, it does a kind of end of the line. It does a, a loop um, on on uh, Sunflower, Sunnyside, Naismith, Jayhawk. So that's where it ends. This scenario extends it further north to get all the way to the Union. Um, it also does serve Stewart Avenue. I think I said, Adam, this scenario doesn't serve Stewart Avenue, but actually I misspoke because this does serve Stewart Avenue. It's sort of a circuitous jog and the reason for that is because this is not a signalized intersection on iowa street so crossing here would be very risky so instead a right turn from 19th onto iowa then left turn onto 21st come up stewart and go into campus that way so any thoughts on that on route 41 You also have um, connections to the rec center uh, along the route. So um, it drops service. The current Route 41 serves the Irving Hill area, Irving Hill Road area, and some of the on-campus housing there. 
So that is dropped in the recommend the recommended scenario because there would be other service um, in Irving Hill Drive to the rest of campus. So this this focuses on getting folks to the rec center, to Jayhawk Boulevard, and to the Union. Okay. So then 42. 42 would operate between the Bob Billings Hub and the Union. So it's restructured to be a much more bi-directional route because the current 42 is this um, kind of a figure eight alignment and there's a lot of one-way service on it, meaning that people are, many people are forced to travel out of direction, um, either coming or going. So kind of the best industry best practice is to try to maximize um, bi-directional service. So that's, that's accomplished here. Um, it provides service from the, from the rec center to the Jayhawk Boulevard and Union uh, area, as well as to the Irving Hill area and the Bob Billings hub. So it kind of allows everybody to, to get to the rec center and then also different parts of campus. Boris, looking at this and then thinking about, uh, I guess, what do we just look at 41 right before this? Yeah, I'll turn that on. Um, and again, like part of me cringes for offering more deviations, but is there a reason why we wouldn't also try to dive this back into, um, you know, right in front of the rec center, make that direct connection a little more, um, offer people at the rec center kind of two options for where they might want to go? Yeah, no, that's that. If 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 that is a a preference that comes up, certainly that I mean, both routes could do that. Um, at this point, I just wanted to try different things on different routes, but um, but yeah, it could they could both go to, into the rec center. Okay, something we're thinking about. Okay, and then the last route is forty three. So it serves the Irving Hill area and the Daisy, uh, uh, Daisy Hill? No, not Daisy Hill. What do you call it? Yep, Daisy Hill. Daisy Hill. Okay, yeah, Daisy Hill, um, all the residential area, all the re Daisy Hill residential, and connects it to Jayhawk Boulevard and the Union. Um, and then it goes as far as uh, College Drive up here. Um, that's that's where it turns around um, at the USP Corbin. Yeah, that's the place. <laughs> um, so that's the forty-three. Uh, and that's not changed from our existing route forty. No, right? No, it's it's a good route. It's a strong route. Has uh, strong ridership, and it's a very productive route. So we didn't change it for the sake of changing it. Um, any thoughts on any of these fixed routes that we just saw? I'll turn them all on as a network. Um, it might be a little bit challenging to see. Let me turn off the, well, that's even worse. But that's, that's scenario one. And then of course, as I mentioned, microtransit would be overlaid on that um, with the, there's one, there's three main kind of city zones, and then there's a zone that is very much wrapped around the KU campus. So the idea here is that 
routes like the 44 and the um, safe ride uh, program could be replaced with a more comprehensive microtransit service that um, potentially could, could operate not just during late night hours, but it, it'll, it sort of depends on where we where things fall with, with budget. Um, it could be just late night hour service. Um, and as the 44 is today, the 44 takes over for many other routes uh, into the evening. So rather than running the 44 in, this, in a safe ride, you could have this zone that's focused on campus. And then the rest of the service would also be available to KU students. So um, for safe ride purposes, they could uh, reserve microtransit trips to, to other parts of, of town as well. So you're suggesting that we do away with safe ride in this scenario? Um, yeah, in this scenario, uh, I, I think we would roll the resources of SafeRide into a more comprehensive uh, microtransit service that's that's citywide, um, and then even on top of that, have have a kind of more narrowly focused KU area microtransit service that um, may differ from from the citywide, maybe by hours of of operation. I, I believe the safe ride today runs what until 2, 2.30 a.m. Is that right? 10.30 to 2.30 a.m. Yes. 10, yeah, 10.30 to 2.30. Um, whereas the nightline service today runs till what? Till 6 a.m., right? So, you know, potentially you could have a citywide uh, late night microtransit service that takes the place both of the safe ride service and the nightline service. So um, the, the details of, of this will still need to work out with the with the hours and the fares, but, but that's uh, kind of a peek at the microtransit recommendations. A couple of microtransit observations, maybe questions. Um, I guess when I look at this, I see uh, kind of the north central part of town is probably a area that I can see us really needing to think about microtransit since Route 3 wouldn't dive up as deeply into that anymore. And we have some big um, industrial uh, warehouse jobs and things up in that area. So we, we just want to think about that as like a key microtransit connection. Um, the other one that stands out to me is down around Holcomb Park, Lawrence Avenue, southern part of Castle. The folks that live there and getting to and from schools a lot is what we hear. So that would be like another key one. And I guess, you know, I know we're, we're painting broad strokes to get some ideas of what people are interested in for coverage. But when I look at some of these zones, like theoretically, I, I could take, let's say, a Route 9 trip, either by fixed route or by microtransit um, from one end to the other. And we generally don't want people doing that, right? We generally want people taking the fixed route. Um, you know, as much as possible and then microtransit where, where they can't. So I guess can you just, we don't have to get too deep in the weeds, but give us, give me a hint at, you know, what, what does it look like for us to actually tighten up the space under which people can use so, microtransit? Yeah. So you could, you could have different pricing that would incentivize or disincentivize one mode over another. So microtransit could be um, in, just that it is a starting point more expensive per trip um, to incentivize people to use fixed route if they um, 
if they can. You could also have kind of geofencing where uh, if a person is within, let's say, a quarter or let's say half a mile or or so of a fixed route service, then the microtransit service would be a kind of a premium for them versus people that are in areas that have no fixed route service. And then for those people, microtransit prices kind of come down to a lot to, to match the fixed route prices. Um, so there's, there's different ways that you can incentivize the use of fixed route service and try to reduce cannibalization of, of ridership um, from one mode to the other. The other way to do it is um, distance-based pricing. And that's actually what's uh, envisioned in scenario two. So if I'll just quickly turn on scenario two. Scenario two has a single citywide zone and it would rely on distance-based pricing to try to um, encourage people to use fixed route service for longer trips. So if you're going, if you're going, let's say, um, two miles, maybe that, or maybe three miles, that's kind of your base microtransit fare. And then, you know, maybe let's say it's $3 a trip for within that base. And then it's a dollar additional dollar for every mile after that. So if a person is interested in doing a crosstown trip there, there's an incentive to use fixed route service or to connect to fixed route service potentially versus staying on microtransit all the way. Uh, so that's another another idea. And I still have the KU zone on here because I think the characteristics would be different um, in terms of kind of the, you know, maybe hours of operation, the expected, the acceptable kind of wait time um, for citywide versus in the KU vicinity um, microtransit service. So this one has just two zones, the citywide zone and then an overlay right around campus. Okay. Does that help at all, Adam? It does. Yep. We're still learning what microtransit might mean for us. So hearing it described a few different ways under a few different circumstances. Right. Um, all right. So next I'd like to talk about scenario two, if everyone still has energy to talk, to continue through this. Um, let's just dive in some of the routes you'll be glad to know are the same in scenario one and two. So we don't have to, we can skip over a few of them, but we'll start with um, turning off scenario one and uh, turning off this. And we'll start with, let me turn that back on. Okay, route one. So route one in scenario two is a little bit different then in scenario one, in, in, in a few ways, one, it um, ends at the community shelter. So instead of trying to combine the jail, the shelter, and the East Hills Business Park into a single route, it simply ends at the community shelter as close as possible to, to it, actually turning around um, in its driveway. Uh, it also dives into the Haskell campus. So as it comes down Massachusetts Street, serves a Dillon's comes down through Haskell and then heads out this way. So that's um, route one under scenario two. Okay, then route three. Route three is an interesting one. Um, route three would be interline. So if you recall, we, we did eliminate the service 
up here, like North Michigan Street and, and other areas north of the hospital um, in scenario one. In scenario two, we don't eliminate it, but we address kind of a fundamental flaw of the current route three, which is that it's a big one-way loop. So in this scenario, we have route three um, interlined with route six. And what they do is they alternate uh, their alignment. Um, one goes on Michigan Street and then the other on Iowa. Um, and then they're interlined. So for example, if you come out on Michigan Street, you go past, well, you go into the hospital, first of all, then up Michigan Street, there's a lot of residential here. Uh, there are a lot of mo mobile home parks. Then you, you go all the way up to the industrial area um, up here, Timber, Timber Ridge Road, and then the bus changes its head sign. And when it changes its head sign, it comes back along Iowa Street. So the net result is that you have bi-directional service on Iowa Street and bi-directional service on Michigan Street because one bus comes out this way, goes back this way, and the next bus goes out this way, comes back this way. So they're interlined in two places. They're interlined downtown and they're interlined up here north in the industrial zone. And um, as a result, you have bi-directional service in both corridors. Any thoughts on that? Does that make sense to you guys? Like the, what I'm describing, how, how the buses kind of transition from route to route like that? Okay. Now, um, if a person wanted to, they actually could ride all the way around. Like if they're going to Hallmark, let's say, and they don't want to wait for the route six bus, they can ride out on the route three bus like they do today. Well, actually it's the opposite direction of today, but anyway, they could ride out on North Michigan street and then ride back around um, and head down to Iowa street. So if they have time on their hands, they could do, they could do it that way. They could make it a, a big loop, but if they didn't want to do that, then they could take a more direct route to either Iowa or Michigan. Okay. Moving on to route four. So Route 4 is uh, much more similar in this scenario to the current Route 4. The difference is that, well, two things. One is that it, it's moved, the alignment has moved from Lyon Street to North Street again. And then the other difference is that the current route ends at the Merck Co-op. And this one goes past the Merck Co-op on Iowa Street and ends at the Bob Billings Hub. So it creates connection opportunities there for people from North Lawrence. Any thoughts on that? I rode the four for about, this is August. I rode the four for about three years. I do like this one better than going all the way to Rock Chark. Okay. The only concern I would still have with this one is we still don't, um, you know, we, we still hear concerns about people in, living in North Lawrence connected to um, a grocery store other than the Merck, you know, one of the more um, non-specialty grocery stores. So uh, that's, that's something that this connects you to the hub, which is great um, at Bob Billings, but we still lack kind of one, of the, one of those major chain grocery stores, which may be a concern for some people. Yep. Christopher, were you saying something? Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. So um, that's the four. Okay, the five. The main difference on the five um, from before 
is that we broke the inner line. So it just serves the East Hills Park, um, business park. It also deviates from 23rd Street into the Haskell campus. Um, but it, like in scenario one, instead of going south in Iowa, it deviates through all the apartments south of Clinton Parkway and then ends at the Bob Billings Hub. That's route five. Okay, we talked about six. Okay, seven is um, similar to the previous seven where we are trying to link Haskell Avenue both to downtown and to Iowa Street, but the alignment shifts um, up to 11th Street because there's Just Foods up here. So we wanted to capture Just Foods. Um, also, it shifts. Uh, let me just illustrate that real quick. So previously, the 11, uh, sorry, not the 11, the 7 did this. So it was on 13th Street, and then it was also on 23rd Street. Yep, you can see that. So we shifted it in two places, on 11th Street, um, to hit Just Foods, and then to 19th Street to provide um, service to both the Dillons here and the high school here. And the reason that the high school is really important in this scenario is because um, Route 7 in Scenario 2 is interlined with Route 9. And Route 9 serves Lawrence Avenue. And so the neighborhoods south of Clinton Parkway, where we've heard about the importance of connecting them to the high school, in this scenario, they would have that connection through an inner line. So um, this, this Route 9 begins at the uh, LMH campus, Rock Chalk Park, and so on, comes down Wakarusa, Clinton Parkway, then down Lawrence Avenue, and at, at the reserve apartments, it interlines and becomes a 7. So a person could have a one-seat ride. If they get on anywhere here, they'd have a one-seat ride to get to the high school. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's the uh, seven and nine. The other thing about this version of the nine is that it has continuous service on Wakarusa. Whether it's justified or not is another question, but it would have um, direct service on Wakarusa. Okay, then Route 10. So Route 10 is a um, similar, it's sort of similar to the previous Route 10 that we showed. So uh, it would operate from the LMH West Campus to Bob, the Bob Billings Hub. Um, it would truncate um, at the Bob Billings Hub instead of downtown. Um, so as the current Route 10 continues to downtown. So this route covers part of 6th Street because previously we had Route 10 coming this way. So that's the difference. It operates along 6th Street. And the reason that it's important to have this coverage on 6th Street is because whereas in scenario one, we had that continuous service almost along all of 6th Street, here we do not. So we do have service along 6th Street. If um, I'll turn on all the routes real quick. But you see, it's not continuous service. It's sort of interrupted in, in segments. Different routes serve different segments of 6th Street. Some of them are KU-focused routes. Some of them are city-focused routes. Um, but it's not continuously served as in scenario one. So that's something to keep in mind. Any thoughts on Route 10?
Let me turn back on Route 9 for a second. Yeah. So I am intrigued by this scenario because that's always been a vexing issue up northwest of Sixth and Walkerusa with the Overland um, East-West connection and the Rock Chalk connection, trying to decide which of those two East-West corridors to serve because they both have a decent amount of um, dense housing along them. So I like that we can hit both of those. Yeah. Would have would have some concern about dividing a major corridor. You know, that's something that I know we set out hoping to maybe clean up 23rd Street a little better. We didn't have great like cross corridor connections across town. To a certain extent, I'd be concerned about yeah. dividing up more on 6th Street. Yep. Um, yeah. So very different uh, one scenario or the other. So we'll see how people. Morris, can you zoom in? Does the 10 turn northbound on Champion Lane there instead of folks like it? Oh, yeah. Yep. Good eye. Good eye. That's 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 true. Um, what was so that decision? That decision was basically splitting the difference because you have um, on folks, you, you have some apartments here, some apartments here. Um, but you're, you, if you turn up here and you get onto Overland, then you miss a big segment of 6th Street and you have like Dillon's here and uh, a few other retail destinations. So this kind of splits the difference and gets you close to Dillon's, gets you kind of close to, to the apartments, um, at least in, to Overland Drive, which is maybe a bit more walkable than 6th Street. So really I have you know nothing other than it splits the difference. Hopefully the roundabouts are, um, the proportions are, are fine for buses. I think they are, but just something. I like to... the better proximity to all those other businesses that are right there. South of, south of 6th, you mean? On the, I know on the north side of 6th Street, they're uh, just by the roundabout. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and in both cases, you get, you know, fairly close to the Walmart and the high school, which are like the big, you know, the, the big destinations there. Okay. So let's look at 11. All right. So 11 is a really interesting one again. So it's combined with, in this scenario, 38. Let me show you how that works. It looks kind of, kind of crazy here, but the idea is you have both routes starting at the hub, both routes serving KU, but slightly di in different ways. Um, both routes serving the apartments south of Clinton slash 23rd, but on different sides of Iowa. And then both routes ending up in the retail core uh, down on Iowa Street, but they are interlined at the reserve. So Route 11 go, hits the reserve, changes head signs, comes back as Route 38, and Route 38 changes head signs and comes back as Route 11. Um, and then you have Stewart Street on here as well. Any thoughts on that combo? Okay. So then let's move on to 27. So 27 is unchanged, so we don't have to talk too much about that. 
29 is also unchanged from scenario one. 30 is also unchanged and 34 is unchanged. So these are all kind of very, I think, strong, potential, potentially strong routes that didn't seem any, any opportunities to change them too much in the second scenario. 36 is changed. Um, let me turn that on. Okay, so the, the main difference between the current 36 and Sorry, this 36. Sorry, I ask you one question about the, those, the routes we just looked at that kind of cross the two scenarios? Yeah. Um, can you remind me, are, are 27 and 29, were those looked at for interline or are those interline with other things? Um, in different scenarios, they are potentially interlined with different routes. So in scenario one, we had two routes. We had the nine and the 29 that were interlined. One, one went to the hub and one went to Iowa Street, but they both served this area over here. Um, in this scenario, they are just treated as um, interline opportunities, but they aren't yet assigned to a, a partner. They don't have a dance party. I would, I would just bring up, I mean, this looking at these two together is interesting to think about people on the far west side of Clinton Parkway and how they might get to the east side 23rd. This might be an interesting way to do that. I know we tabled at Haskell this last weekend and heard from, um, I believe, a student who lives at the Legends Apartments, which is on 24th place down there on the west side of the Route 29, and was asking, you know, how, how might I get to Haskell easier than I can do now? And something like this might be a way to do that. So yeah, I just, I, I look at this across the, you know, it's, it's kind of a pretty clean corridor and it's a lot of stuff. So I just find that an interesting opportunity. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the big benefits of having the new hub, the new Bob Billings hub is that it does create all these new opportunities to consider inner lines that you don't have today. Um, and, and so we'll definitely take, maximum advantage of that to um, to have sort of optimized schedules uh, across the board. Okay. 36. So 36 is the same as the current Route 36 with one difference. Um, the current Route 36 heads down to Gateway Court and the apartments that nobody knows what they're called over here. And then this one um, it does something similar, but instead of instead of ending on the south end, it heads north on Frontier Road. And there's a fairly large apartment complex here on Fireside Drive that is called, I have it written down somewhere, the uh, Frontier, Frontier West Apartments. So this is called the Frontier West Apartments. So um, buses could make a right turn from sixth on to frontier, that's that's a safe turn to make. Um, this is unprotected, but I believe there maybe it's a four-way stop. Is there a four-way stop? Um, no, I don't think it's a. Four, oh wait, one stop there. And no, it's not a one. It's not a four-way stop, but it is a. I think fairly lightly trafficked area um, so and then this is is a four-way stop so it's it's um, only there's only one intersection that isn't ideal for turning left on and this is a fairly large apartment complex these 
folks here would still have access to 6th Street. It's not a very long walk. So just opens up the option of um, maybe expanding service to another group of riders, potential riders. All right. Okay, 38. We talked about 38. That was the one that was interlined with the 11. 41. Okay, so 41 uh, is similar to the 41 we saw in scenario one, but in scenario one, 41 served Becker Drive and then extended up to um, the Union. Here, it does this loop, the Jayhawk Sunnyside loop, and the same thing with 42. So 41 and 42 are otherwise identical to what we saw in scenario one. The only difference is that both of them turn around mid-campus rather than heading to the union. So I don't know if anyone has any thoughts on those two routes. They both travel clockwise around that loop. They travel the direction that is possible to travel, which is, I think, counterclockwise. Because yeah, the this best turning scenarios are counterclockwise loop and the biggest bus stops and existing bus stops are for a counterclockwise loop. Yeah. Um, okay, and then we have 43, which is unchanged. So um, anyone that has access to Remix um, can go through this and click all the routes on and off um, one by one or in groups. And you can look at scenario one and you can look at scenario two and take your time and really kind of digest this information. Um, I don't know if how many people on this call use Remix, but it is, it is a tool that's uh, pretty, pretty useful to, to compare things. So um, I would volunteer if there are people who would like to go through it who are not familiar with Remix that I would be happy to be someone that can help you navigate it one time to learn how to use it. Does everybody have uh, an like a? I guess Adam, I think you have to send invites, right? Like you can't if you don't already if you don't have an invite to Remix, you can't just open an account, right? We can provide public links that people okay. can and use uh, Remix to look at different things and make comments. We did okay. that last fall with KU students who helped do some route redesign work. We, okay. you know, it's always it's always a challenge to try to meet people where they're at. Um, so we'll we'll probably do a similar thing to what we did uh, in that effort, where we'll likely be posting static images that maybe compare. Uh, let's say route one existing scenario one scenario two so you can kind of see what is happening with route one but also providing a remix environment for people who are comfortable using that technology and then as was discussed in the last meeting this group had there's i think the the bulk of the really good educational work for this is probably going to be done at the virtual meetings we have the in-person tabling opportunities of open house formats that we might have at the library, a number of other places. So those are probably the places where people get their actual questions kind of sussed out, <laughs> thinking about all these different options. Mm -hmm. um, 
we're going to try to, to span, you know, the comfort with technology and the, how we look at the different scenarios together. So I guess I'll throw a question out to everybody. Does, is, is this group comfortable enough with these scenarios to, to sort of say, yes, go out and, and present them to the public? Or are there any, uh, any things that you just aren't comfortable with in what you're seeing? Beyond that, I'd be interested too if there's certain uh, there's certain bigger picture questions you have. Anything that like we as staff could help educate people on the front end or provide some some answers to some questions. So um, I don't know. Just as an example, um, you know, what a tell me more about what the microtransit actually how it actually works. Or if I'm in the southwest part of town, how is my life going to change? You know, do you, do you have big picture questions like that that we can be thinking about when we're, when we're putting this information out, how to start helping people address maybe some of these? I'm really curious about all these routes. Not, not if it's been tied to this meeting, but as a general public member is the frequency of the routes. Whenever you know, the five used to be one hour routes and that was changed to 30 minutes, stuff like that. Like the frequency is also as important as where the route goes to me anyway, as a writer. Yeah. It, it, yeah, for sure. For sure. And we are trying to take a process of, of, you know, like narrowing down our, our solutions and our options. So we start with coverage and then understand from that, like, where people want the buses to be. And then we start focusing um, our attention on the schedules, um, span of service, things like that um, in the context of the, the budgets that are available and the different funding sources that are available. But it's a, it's a good point. I have some observations, really no questions or anything. Well, this is a question. Um, how, how many very residential streets are we using for the bus system and would we be using full-size buses on them? Um, if we looked at Peasley by itself or the East Side Industrial Park, mm -hmm. how well are they served? Um, how, how are... I think I asked this before, how are Eastsiders getting to LHS, the high school? And my last one is our demographic focus. I'm assuming that somewhere along the line, we, we did an overlay on socioeconomic groups of some sort. Um, Chris pointed out the last meeting that um, the condition of the sidewalks will make a difference. And he is absolutely right about that. There are some sidewalks that are very hazardous. So we need to be coordinating with the city. Those are my notes. Okay, yeah, um, uh, let's see. I will address first the uh, demographics. So, so that was one of the first things we did was uh, establish what the transit potential and transit need of the community is, or at least the relative transit need, and that's looking at a lot of different demographic um, characteristics. So if we look at the footprint um, of the service, 
in both scenarios, the service, so areas that are red have, area, have more concentrations of populations that have a higher propensity to use transit. So disabled population groups, low-income population groups, uh, people without automobiles, um, youth, young adults, seniors. So certainly you see the footprint of the, of the network really is closely aligned with um, where you have the highest need. There are some pockets of that show up as, as having higher need um, that are not necessarily well served. That's kind of a function of, of the geography that we're looking at. In, in other words, we're looking at um, what's called a census block group. A census block group in some cases can be a fairly large area. And if it has in one corner of it um, an apartment complex that has a high concentration of, of transit dependent riders, that will sort of show up as, as the entire block group. Um, and so you have to kind of keep that in mind. But um, at the end of the day, we're going to do a, a Title VI type of assessment when we have our preferred scenario to, um, to show, you know, any negative impact on sensitive, sensitive groups. Uh, I don't anticipate there being any, but it is something that we're going to do um, to the final scenario. Uh, Peasley Center. So Peasley Center would have direct service um, on that route that I mentioned that it kind of links together a bunch of educational institutions. And that's in both scenarios. So Peasley Center is in both scenarios. Um, what else did you, oh yeah, the connections to the high school. So the connections to the high school, the, the high school is one of the routes that is on that uh, route that I mentioned. The um, uh, 27 route is what we were calling it. Um, but I don't think everyone necessarily that is uh, zoned to, to go to the high school would necessarily have a direct connection to the, to the high school. Um, but there's also the option of a microtransit service that, that we'll be kind of presenting as a, as a safety net in a way. Um, and what was your fourth question? She asked about the con condition of the sidewalks too, Boris. She oh yes, yeah, and you were asking also about like smaller streets. Um, so in general, if th there are certain streets that um, we try to avoid if possible, if a street is too too residential, as a rule of thumb, I look for streets that have yellow lines down the middle. Um, if you've ever if you notice, like as you drive, there are there are roadways that have a yellow line which you know, makes a divided road versus just blacktop with no, no divider. So as a rule of thumb, I try to keep buses to streets that have a yellow line on them. Those, those are more suitable for larger vehicles like buses or, or trucks or, or whatever. Um, there may be some cases where we are operating on a smaller street and it's only because of some strong justification like there's a large apartment complex or something to that effect that we we know is a major ridership generator but to the greatest extent possible we try to keep um, buses on streets that are suitable for for bus traffic um, and i you know i can't assess the sidewalks everywhere throughout the study area but um, i think maybe some of the city staff could weigh in a little bit more on that or add yeah, on I mean, side, sidewalk condition, that's, that's just such a large, it's a large ongoing effort um, that we obviously care about um, and, and wouldn't 
you know, we hate to have to cite bus stops if there's not even sidewalk to begin with. That makes it very challenging for us to think about our improvements. And obviously each calendar year has transit new bus stop improvements to help with accessibility. Um, yeah, and, the, and the access and kind of what roads we go down is, is always a challenging discussion because on one hand, yeah, staying on the arterial and collector roads is great, but then there's concern that, that we're asking people to walk too far, catch the bus. Um, I think as our buses transition to more electric vehicles and are quieter, I think that is a concern that some people have to have to prefer they not go into residential neighborhoods, that maybe that particular noise concern gets diminished over time as we transition. Um, and then obviously we just have operational capability, like what a turning radius is for a large bus. There's some streets we just can't go down because we can't get in and out safely. Yeah. This is one of those Adam. Say something. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, so Ashley. I'm Ashley. Yeah. Uh, so the pedestrian plan that we are working on right now is also looking at transit gaps and transit access gaps and I think we may have lost Ashley. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah, Boris, I can hear you. This is okay. Chris. I, I, uh, I, I think Ashley brings up a good point, and that is that the pedestrian plan is looking at, um, you know, it, it's more um, looking forward at, you know, where there are gaps and um, how do we create a interconnected primary network along collectors' arterials. Uh, we also have the sidewalk improvement program. And Adam, I think once that new routes are chosen, you know, last year to the sidewalk improvement program transitioned from a kind of a zone-based approach to looking at where are priority areas in the community, you know, access points to schools, access points to uh, grocery, et cetera, where we need to uh, prioritize sidewalk improvements uh, in the existing network. So I think it probably warrants a discussion, MSO, transit, you know, once once these new routes are established to think about how will those influence the priorities for the sidewalk improvement program in the you know, next couple of years. Yeah, I know we are in that model, you know, when the, when for the sidewalk improvement program, when they're looking at the next set of priority yeah. routes for that, uh, proximity to transit stops is one of those destinations they use um, yeah. as part of their model. Hey, Ashley, sorry, I think we lost you. I don't, I'm not sure if your point got across or not. Yeah, the one time I was going to try to say something that I had internet issues. Um, so hopefully you can hear me now. Yes, so we are working on a pedestrian plan, and part of that will be looking at transit access gaps where sidewalk is missing. And like Chris was saying, it is part of the sidewalk improvement program um, demand model. And so it, it's getting incorporated in a couple of different ways. Great. Okay. Um, so Carol, this is just, I, I, I thought I would try to find a street that 
is otherwise residential but does have bus service and this is one of them and it's you see it's heavily um multifamily housing it is it is a fairly narrow street it doesn't have the yellow line but it is um fronted by multifamily housing so we typically feel more comfortable running service on that kind of street than one that is um, more you know single family homes and um, just a quieter quieter overall environment uh, and, and it's not just that we feel comfortable don't feel comfortable it's also like for the benefit of, of ridership we know that this is a street that is going to generate ridership and then if we throw buses onto streets like the ones that you mentioned um uh, like Pawnee, for example, we just aren't going to see the the same return in terms of ridership. So it's, you know, it's driven by that as much as the desire not to um, aggravate neighbors. Right. Um, I'm, I'm still, I guess, trying to wrap my head a little bit around the microtransit thing. Um, and I'm wondering if you could kind of explain like from the perspective of a writer, you know, they realize that there's a there's not a fixed route that gets them close to where they want to go. How how do they go about engaging with microtransit? Yeah, I actually have a short video. It's two minutes. I might have already shown it to this group. I don't remember if I did or not. Did I show it? Uh, does anybody remember that short video from um, microtrans microtrans in Sacramento, for example? I have a couple of them. I don't think so, but we'd probably benefit from seeing it again even yeah. if you had shown it. Okay. If, so if no nobody objects, I'm going to try to show it. Um, I'm going to stop sharing because I think I have to stop restart sharing with audio. So hold on a second. Okay. Okay, um, I just realized that Zoom has different, okay, if I do share screen on Zoom, I'll optimize share sound. Okay, here we go. Since bacon, uh, they're on Johnny on the spot oh, on. when I need it. Mm -hmm. I think that the best thing since bacon uh, they're on Johnny on the spot. When I need them, they've been available. And that's great. And I just need to run to the darn store for one darn thing. And here they are. The other oh. car transport services are too expensive for a senior, you know. So via in my opinion, is like an extension to the bus service. Here we have the Yolo bus going by, and they run every hour on the hour. So uh, riders, what they love about us is it's similar to Uber and Lyft, but it's uh, corner to corner, and it gets them to their locations a little bit more conveniently throughout West Sacramento. There are some passengers that absolutely 100% this is their form of transportation. I have to depend on others for transportation and so many things need to be done during the day when my rides are not available. I'm on a mobility scooter and so I'm rather limited as to uh, what I can use. 
it's a lot less dangerous like especially late at night like if I, I'm a girl alone and I have to walk like at nine o'clock at night they have like the $10 via pass for all week and you get four rides a day and that's what I usually do because it's like so much cheaper sometimes you meet new people on the rides that's pretty cool you get to make friends and um, I, I just really enjoy it I really hope that it stays like I would die if it didn't um, I like if if it went away I would be like on the phone with the mayor like what are you doing I need this Okay, so that was kind of dramatic, but um, the, the idea is that it's a service that is an on-demand service, it's app-based, so people dispatch it just like they, they do Uber and Lyft, although it also has a call-in option for people who don't have access to a smartphone. Um, and it's using vehicles that are more appropriate for transit because it's a, intended to be a shared use service rather than just you know one person one trip um, so you could have two or three people picked up then dropped if they're all going to the same place they'd all be dropped off together but they could also be dropped off along the way um, typically you have multiple vehicles to take advantage of the route the routing algorithm that the platform um, provides. So in other words, if you have three vehicles in a zone and there's a couple of trips being requested, the algorithm can determine which vehicle makes most sense to dispatch to which trip in order to kind of minimize the um, deviations for existing passengers who might already be on the vehicle to, to make it as productive uh, a service as possible um, and as, as smooth uh, and user-friendly as possible. So it's a new mode that is now really spreading quite uh, extensively around the country. Um, it works best in areas that are more auto-oriented where fixed route service has, has not really been able to, hasn't been supported or hasn't been productive um, because the land, not every area of a community has a land use to support fixed route service. Things like sidewalks, things like block lengths, um, all those things matter in terms of generating fixed route transit ridership. But microtransit can get to places where buses can't easily serve well. And so that's, that's kind of the appeal of it. And different agencies are applying this model in different ways. Some are applying it as kind of a first last mile connector to get people from you know, uh, their neighborhood out to a larger street where they can catch the, the fixed route bus. Some of them are using it as a replacement for bus service, especially in areas that have historically had low ridership. Um, some of them, for example, um, universities are starting to use microtransit, especially for late night service. So, um, a lot of college campuses have a shuttle system, but there's a point of diminishing return. Let's say like after seven or eight o'clock at night, there's just not the ridership to support the robust fixed route shuttle network. So they transition to a campus-wide uh, microtransit service instead. So there's a whole lot of different applications for microtransit. Um, does, that, does that kind of help you understand it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it sounds really cool. Um, I think that getting to that big picture question that you asked about, Adam, I think the technology aspect of that, though, would be something that people are going to ask about and, you know, how we sort of integrate, you know, even if, you know, is, if, if there would be like a phone line at the bus hubs or something. So, you know, there are points within the system where people can um, engage with that service, I think would be important to think about. Yeah. 
Uh, and pricing is also uh, uh, sort of fair policy is also something that there's just a, a ton of experimentation happening now all over the country as people try to position this. Some agencies are positioning it as a premium service. Others are doing the exact, exact opposite and, and doing it more as a safety net service. And there's no consensus. It's just like this period of, of experimentation because it's such a new new mode. Um, and so it's something we, we still need to think a little bit more about. But um, it's, it's a technology-driven service. So there's a lot of uh, opportunities to do things that you couldn't do with other types of services like geofencing, um, where you can say that, you know, if you're within a certain area or within a certain time of day, you get one price. If you're somewhere else, you get a different price. If you're a, a certain person who qualifies for, let's say, uh, paratransit service, then you get one price. If, you, if you're general public, then you get another price. All of that is kind of built into the tech aspect of the service. So um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of possibilities. And I'm glad you brought some of that up because I know, you know, most of part of your question, I think of the for the person who does have technology, we want that. I mean, it's a, it's an effort now to make people's trip planning experience a very easy one. So they don't have to kind of cross-reference different things and figure out how they're going to take a trip across town. In particular, if they're going to use more than one bus or more than one type of service like fixed route and microtransit. We, it's our intention to set up the technology piece so that the um, person who has a smartphone doesn't have to think a whole lot. They, they say, I want to go from here to there. Show me the couple best ways I can do that. And I'll select whether I want to bike and take this fixed route or take this fixed route paired with a microtransit trip. Um, there's always going to be, you know, how do we serve people without that access? And uh, the easiest answer is, is probably exactly what you say. It's a, it's a phone call to a um, customer service or dispatch person who is essentially on the back end, putting that into the technology system. The user doesn't necessarily see it, but it still exists. And there's a person who helps navigate that. Okay. Um, so I just wanted to share that that was kind of my concern too in um, displaying the different options is really that micro transit aspect. I feel like there's still a lot of questions out there and maybe we don't really have those answers yet, but going into it and um, showing these different scenarios to the public, being able to explain um, as as specifically as possible how the micro transit will help address those gaps is going to be really important because, um, you know, if somebody, for example, um, uh, didn't know that they would have to be paying more to use micro transit compared to using the regular transit system, then they might make a decision and give feedback about the route that wouldn't necessarily reflect what they actually wanted. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely have a slide that introduces. Uh, microtransit as a, as a concept, and we'll, yeah, we can answer questions about it during the during public meetings. Just as a local example, and Boris is right, I think agencies are doing it a bunch of different ways, but as a local example, Kansas City down the road, I know, is uh, currently still fare-free across their fixed route system. They're about to bring on some new microtransit services, and those will cost um, so those will be $3 right, I believe, while everything else remains free. So that's just a local decision that's being made. Um, but I think Boris is right. You can look at it through the lens of premium service, or you can say, well, these are 
even less served communities because we can't bring them fixed out. So it should, you know, it shouldn't cost more for that. This will be things we'll have to think about. And this is August. We just saw, and just kind of to echo what Laura just said, and what Adam on you. I, 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 my Carol kind of brought it up. My concern is that it's easier for KU students to get to class than our middle school and high school students. And with the micro microservice, it costs the same to drive to Johnson County versus taking a high school bus or a bus to LHS. So those are, I think, some of the public's main concerns are going to be is that. It, 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 I don't want to say it favors one group over the other because I don't think it does. It just appears that way right out of the gate um, because LHS is not just everything east of Mass. It's everything south of the 15th, all the way to Wakarusa and all the way to O'Connell. And that's a huge student body population to try and get to school versus the six or seven buses to get to KU from any side of, any part of town. We'll have to do a good job of reminding everyone that students are actually paying for that service for KU. Once they pay for it through fees, right? And I and I know that I'm not. It's not the fair per I know se. You do. It's more I, is the availability to, of the routes. Yeah, we have to educate people. I mean, if that's something that comes up, we do have to educate them that that's that KU students aren't just writing for free. It might appear that way, but it's not true. And again, it's uh, not the fares. It's the availability of a bus to go to. 23rd or Clinton Parkway and Inverness versus the the Candace Union. It gives the students more options to stay after school and do whatever they want to do. Um, also, when we when we make an impact on a young group, they're going to learn how to ride that bus and they're going to ride it a lot. So as they as they get older, they're still going to be riders. I would well, um, another wrinkle. Um, another wrinkle that you know that the technology facilitates is you know this idea of certain trip types or certain passenger types can have access to certain things. Um, you know, so if we can identify somebody in that technology environment as student, they might be able to get that that trip for the the low cost um, option. But the general public member taking the same distance trip between the same two destinations, maybe not. So there's kind of a overwhelming amount of possibility of how we could slice the pie and, and try to make it fair and equitable and um, you know, access for the people we want to have access. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just was gonna kind of echo what Carol and August were saying, but also I guess that there are East Side kids who are trying to get out to Free State and back also. Um, so I think that's, that's important to, to think about too, for those, those same reasons. Yeah. It seems like some of those challenges exist even today though, right? I mean, it's not so easy for kids to get to the appropriate high school from anywhere in, in the city. Um, and I think there's also kind of, in, in most transit, most transit systems um, have to f walk this fine line um, in designing their service to be a little bit, too much catering to the high to, to, to schools um, versus the general public um, because there's like certain charter regulations and other things like that that you you're not technically supposed to provide school school trips unless they are also um, available to the general public so we have to kind of walk that line like we have to find where there's demand overall for for transit service and not just think about serving high schools but if we can't serve a high school certainly we we will, we want to because those are ridership generators. 
Okay. Um, well, it is 8.18, so almost two hours. Um, any, any last thoughts or should we call it a night? Are we going to have access to either static maps or you noted remix? It'd be useful just to be able to look back and reflect on one versus two. Yeah, yeah. So over the next couple of weeks, um, Rebecca and I will be trying to come up with a way to present this um, as legibly and, and logically to the public as possible for people that can't necessarily make meetings um, or that do make meetings, but then also want to look, you know, go back and review at home. So we're going to find, we're going to come up with ways to display this. Um, uh, there are some static maps that are just a static system maps that um, I, I shared with Adam. I think he could share it with, with the rest of the group if he hasn't already. Um, but we're, we're still working on how best to present this to the public. So stay tuned. And I do think, like I mentioned before, I think we will try uh, in, the, in the survey environment. So not necessarily in the presentation or tabling formats. I think we will try to provide both static maps for people to look at as well as a link to remix where people can zoom in and out and turn things off and on um, with kind of open text box responses is kind of how we approached it last time in the survey. So we'll, we'll probably look at doing a, a similar thing, um, at least for that piece of the outreach this time around. Yeah, it's, I mean, we certainly a lot to, di to digest. So um, we, we get that and we're, we're trying to figure out how, how best to present it. So I think, I think we'll get there. Okay. Well, thank you all for all your feedback. Um, and uh, we will continue. Let's see. I think we're talking. I don't remember what our next meeting is actually. Cause this one, this one was like off schedule. So in less than a month, six. the six. Yeah, okay. 26th. Okay. Two weeks from today. Two weeks from today. Okay, so by then um, we'll have more information on the strategy for for the public outreach as, as well, how we're going to present it, when we're going to present it, and things like that. So we'll talk to you guys then. Okay. Good night. Thank you.